Hey everyone, Steve here. You know, often our guests will send us a couple copies of their books and sometimes they're signed. We wanted to get those books in your hands, so just wanted to let you know that we've created a page at our website for you all to win a weekly book giveaway. Go to eternalleadership.com slash book and you can register there. That's eternalleadership.com slash book. We'll have that link in the summary of this MP3 as well, but be sure to go back once in a while and see what book we're giving away that week. It's eternalleadership.com slash book. Thanks. And it's part of your unique gift as a human being that you see things differently than other people. You have different experiences. And it's almost, I think, an obligation, one could argue, that if you're really going to live your life fully, that you need to be willing to step up and share your talents and share your vision. That's, that's part of what it means to live a full life. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, author and speaker, Dory Clark. Now, Dory has written Reinventing You, and a second book that we're really going to touch on today, Stand Out, How to Develop Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Dory was introduced to us by episode 16 guest, Judy Robinette, and both John and I fell in love with Dory. I could continue to heap praise, but let's just get to the interview. Here's now how my partner, John Ramstead, got this conversation with Dory Clark started on this edition of Eternal Leadership. Well, Steve, today on a, the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Dory Clark, who was introduced to us by a great friend of the show, Judy Robinette. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, and Dory is, she's just, if anybody hasn't uh, or isn't familiar with TED Talks, go to TED Talk and look up Dory's message. It is fantastic. I love the work that Dory's doing right now. You know, we mm. were talking, um, you know, pre-show a little bit, and one of Dory's favorite Bible verses is Matthew 5, 15. Um, you, know, you know, take your light and don't put it under a bowl. Let it stand and give light to everyone in the house. And Dory's life is really defined about how do people find that light that's in them, connect to that message and bring it out into the world. So not only it just benefits and enhances their life, but all the lives around them. So Dory, I'm really excited to have you on today. Welcome. Thank you, gentlemen. Glad to be talking with you. Well, hey, as we get started, Dora, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your background and your story, and then um, I'm really excited to get into some of the the teaching and the message that's in this book that you have coming out right now that I think people are going to be very excited to learn about. But let me turn it over to you. Yeah, thank you so much. So in terms of my background, I, um, I right after college, I actually entered uh, Harvard Divinity School. And so I spent a couple of years getting my master's of theological studies. And uh, for me professionally, uh, actually early on, I had kind of a setback because I, I had, uh, after I finished my master's degree, I had my heart set on continuing in academia, and I thought uh, that the thing that I wanted to do was become a literature professor. So I applied to a bunch of doctoral programs, and it turned out I didn't end up getting into any of them, and I didn't really have a plan B, and so I had to sort of scramble to figure out what to what to do. That was kind of my first reinvention. Uh, but so subsequently, I uh, managed to get a job as a political reporter, which was pretty cool. Uh, but a year into that, I got laid off um, as the industry 
industry was really consolidating at the time. So then, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna restart again. So I uh, worked first as the press secretary on a gubernatorial campaign, which lost, and then I became a, uh, a communications director, the New Hampshire communications director, on a presidential campaign, and we lost. <laughs> and finally, I ended up uh, when I was uh, 20, 27, uh, starting my own consulting business, and that that has stuck uh, for you know for the past decade. I've been doing uh, marketing and uh, communication strategy, and have written a, a couple of books. Uh, the first one called Reinventing You, really informed by my uh, experience as someone who has changed careers a lot and, and needed to reinvent herself. And my new one is called Stand Out, which is really aimed at folks who have found, you know, they, they, they may have a pretty good idea where they would like to have an impact, you know, what kind of general field or general area, but they, they want to understand better how they can find the idea that they'll get known for and really uh, be able to break through the noise and have an impact. You know, as you rewind a little bit, though, which I think maybe has led you to where you're at now, that, you know, your first number of book proposals and and the applications to these doctoral programs, you, you just kept getting turned down everywhere. What, what kept you moving forward? Yeah, it was uh, it was a little dispiriting at times, for sure. Um, as you're alluding to, I before my first book got published, I had three different book proposals that I tried to uh, to turn into a book, and and they just all kept getting shot down um, because what they what they told me at the time was that I essentially I wasn't famous enough that I didn't have uh, you know the parlance in literary circles is I did not have a big enough platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, it was really frustrating. But I, I decided, okay, if I'm if I'm going to do this, I've got to, uh, I've got to take the feedback, and I've got to start from ground zero and start. I started blogging, uh, and you know, really tried to build a, a grassroots following from there. But uh, you know, more than anything, what uh, what kept me going was that I had, I, I think, a pretty good level of of confidence. I, I was. I was just convinced that they were wrong about me, not that I was wrong about myself. And uh, I think partly that's because, uh, you know, I had a very loving mom who was really good at, uh, you know, encouraging me and, uh, you know, helping me feel like I had good good potential and good things to contribute. And, and partly also because... You know, I've really, I've really long felt that uh, you know this, this sort of amorphous sense that I have uh, a contribution to make. You know, I've, I've, I've felt like I, I uh, am called to make a big impact in the world, and I, uh, you know, I, I think exactly how one does that sometimes unfolds over time. You don't necessarily know in what way, but um, if you have that feeling, you're you're almost not really permitted to stop trying. Well, you, so you weren't clear on the how, but you felt this deep sense that you were meant to make this impact. Did you have clarity on what the impact is that you wanted to make? Uh, not really. <laughs> you know, when I was a teenager, I thought maybe it would be that I'd be a rock star, <laughs> which which is a good way to make an impact, I think. Although uh, that that one didn't really work out. <laughs> but uh, but no, I I wanted to uh, you know I I knew I wanted to to do something positive, but uh, you know exactly what that was, I wasn't I wasn't really sure. But uh, over time, as I've gotten a little deeper into my field and uh, have begun writing books and talking to people, I think that what has become increasingly clear to me, as you were alluding to earlier, John, is that a lot of people really 
you know, they don't, they don't, um, I would say they have a belief that making a big impact, that sharing, sharing their ideas is something for other people, not mm-hmm. them. They think that, that it's, it's something that you have to be a special person to do. Oh, you know, that's, you know, that's great for the Einsteins of the world, but not for me. And I think that it's really important to, uh, to try to help spread the word and encourage people that no, it is not just a special class of people that is qualified to share their ideas or their vision with the world. Everyone uh, can and should do it. And it's part of your unique gift as a human being that you see things differently than other people. You have different experiences. And it's almost, I think, an obligation, one could argue, that if you're really going to live your life fully, that you need to be willing to step up and share your talents and share your vision. That's, that's part of what it means to live a full life. You know, one of the things I'm getting from you, Dory, that I think is so important for people to grasp is you started moving in this direction and you didn't know the how, you didn't know the what. You, it was on your heart that I, I, I've been designed to make an impact. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to just start moving in that direction. And I think so many people just wait. They, uh, they need more clarity or they need their plan or they need things laid out. And what I'm hearing from you is, you know what, just start moving in the direction that brings you toward that in some, and I know this happened in your life, some amazing things can start to happen, but you don't have it, have to have it all squared away to get started. Is that right? No, I think that's very true, John. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I mean if, you, if you wait for perfect clarity, um, you know, a couple things will happen. One is it's, it's highly likely that you will be waiting forever because yeah. uh, very rare in life that there's perfect clarity. And the second thing is that the, the world moves fast, you know, and, and circumstances are changing. And, you know, d- it's now become a fairly accepted wisdom in the high tech world that you need to move quickly. Uh, you need to test if things are working. You need to pivot if they're not, and that's all part of the game. You know, it's it's not it's not a terrible thing if you have a hypothesis and you test it out, and the you know the market says, eh, we don't really like this. You know, I mean, Twitter, for instance, started out as a podcasting service called Odeo, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, Odeo didn't really fly, uh, but Twitter was a side project. And that was the one that took. And I think that that for a lot of us, if we if we think of our lives that way, you you know you come up with a with an idea, you know, a, a place that you know maybe I'll try this, maybe, you know, but maybe that's your audio, and uh, it goes okay, but not great. But this thing that you've been cultivating on the side, you know, this little idea, this little project, whatever, maybe that's the thing, and you've got to stay nimble enough to pivot toward it. Well, you know, something that's defined who you are or, or the work that you've done is really in the whole area of branding and marketing. Uh, but you've really brought this into a much more personal realm with this book. What was behind you getting, you know, sitting down to write this book, Stand Out? So for Stand Out, in, in a lot of ways, it was, uh, it was me trying to, to satisfy my own curiosity. And, uh, and perhaps, uh, you know, this is a curiosity that some of your uh, listeners, John and Steve, uh, share as well. I was really interested in learning from the people who are the best in their fields, mm-hmm. you know? And so for standout, I interviewed about 50 top thought leaders in the business world, you know, folks that, that your listeners might be familiar with, like Seth Godin and Daniel Pink and uh, David Allen of Getting Things Done fame. Um, I also interviewed people in, uh, in science, people in, uh, in urban planning. But I wanted to understand, A, what 
what do they have in common? You know, what is it that actually has enabled them to become a top thinker in their field? But B, I wanted to, you know, really begin to, to understand uh, this question of how regular people could apply those same concepts to, uh, to turbocharge their own life. You know, what, what can we learn from it? What can we extrapolate from it so that someone who has a good idea can actually begin to make a, a difference with it? I, I don't want to live in a world where the loudest voice wins. I would like to live in a world where the best idea wins. Mm. But that is never going to happen as long as people who have good ideas don't equip themselves or have access to the knowledge of how to spread them. Hmm. So if somebody's sitting here listening to this, what, what are the strategies just to get started to become, take who you are and start to become known as an expert in either your niche or the area that you'd like to have an impact in? Yeah. So if we if we think about a starting place, one area that uh, that I think is important to to really mention and drive home, uh, you know, again, a lot of a lot of people will sort of disqualify themselves in, in some way. They'll think, well, you know, uh, you need to have uh, expert credentials or you need to have been doing this thing for 20 years or you have a doctorate in it or something. But the truth is, wherever you are, you are going to have had unique experiences that can be incredibly useful and valuable in this process. Uh, in Standout, I tell the story of a woman named Rose Schumann, and she actually found her calling in life because when she was 18 years old, her family took a family family trip to Nicaragua, which is where her stepmother's family was from. And she had grown up in the suburbs outside Washington, D.C., you know, nice, comfortable, middle-class life. And they go down to Nicaragua. It's just after the Contra War, and the country is in shambles. There's, uh, you know, there's one streetlight in the country. People are incredibly poor. And she's just so struck by this. Uh, she's so touched by this. She decides that she wants to get into environment uh, to uh, international development. She wants to make that her career. And so, in fact, she does. Uh, she studies it in college. She gets a job after college with, uh, with an international aid group. And they're, you know, they're working uh, on a lot of different issues. She's traveling around to different countries. And so one day, literally this is, this is her off day, she is walking around and she's been thinking about the question of how do you get more internet access to poor companies, uh, poor countries. And, you know, this is something a lot of people talk about. You know, you've probably heard of the one laptop per child initiative and things like this. These are very uh, expensive initiatives uh, and that people have been trying to undertake. And and Rose is looking around as she's taking a walk, and she sees a call box, literally, you know, like at a transit station or a college campus, a call box where you push a button and you hear somebody's voice on the other end of the line. And she has this realization, which is that, you know, if you're trying to give everybody a laptop, there's, there's a lot of steps in between doing that and getting them internet access. They have to learn how to use the laptop. They have to have uh, a way to power the laptop. They need a safe place to store it. They probably need to learn a new language because if, uh, if it's somebody in a really rural area, they probably don't speak a, a mainstream language that has a lot of it, content on the internet in it. And then after all those steps, maybe they can find something useful online. That's pretty tough. But she saw the call box and she realized, oh, oh my goodness, what if we created literally a call box system in rural villages where 
the people don't even have to understand what the internet is, but they push the button, they ask a question to somebody who's on the other end of the line, um, who's bilingual and who is in front of a computer, and they can Google things for you. And so she created this. It uh, it took her four hours to come up with the idea. That's it's taken awesome. her ten, yeah, it's taken her ten years to implement it. It's now in. India and much of Africa. And during the recent Ebola crisis in Liberia, this was literally a life-saving device because uh, all the aid workers had to leave Liberia. People couldn't get information except they could push the button and uh, and ask questions and and get information. So this, this is somebody who, I think for me, it's the perfect example of somebody who took her own personal experience, you know, her own unique background, this family trip, and it inspired an idea that is later able to help you know, thousands and tens of thousands of people. I love that story. You know, if you don't mind, let me bring up a situation to you that a conversation I just had, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it. He's uh, a friend of mine who's working here uh, in Denver in the nonprofit space, African-American, and he's in his late 20s, and he's really passionate about school choice because it was education that has allowed him to completely get out of the environment that he grew up in. Sure. He wants more people to have this incredible opportunity that at the time a scholarship out of the public school system gave him. And so it's his vision to become a thought leader. He's 26 years old and be able to write influence legislation, not just here, but nationally. So he's just starting on this journey to become known in that area. Uh, He doesn't feel credible. And, you know, there's a lot of a lot of us that have thoughts about these big picture things, you know, in culture or ministry or business or leadership. But what advice would you give to somebody who's like at that part of the journey here in in the U.S. to just embrace that and become that thought leader? Yeah, that's that's great. I love I love that question because uh, this is really where the rubber meets the road. You know, somebody has a passion, they have an idea, they want to move it forward. Whether it's a, a passionate about a, a business idea or about social change, like like this young man. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I discovered in the course of researching re, uh, standout and doing these interviews with thought leaders is that um, when it comes to spreading an idea, it's really a three part process that you have to go through. The first step is building your network. The second step is building your audience. And then finally, the third step is building your community. And so for him, the way that I would put this into practice, number one, building your network. This is about uh, the fact that, you know, if you if you throw an idea out into the world, but you don't have a proper base of support initially, it's it's probably not going to be nurtured enough to, to be successful. It's very rare that you can just come from nowhere and, oh, I'll write a blog post and then it catches fire. You need to start by building the network. This could be as simple literally as him making a decision that once a week he's going to have a different person out to lunch or, or out to coffee and strategically, you know, who are the people he needs to get to know in the education reform community, uh, newspaper editors, politicians that might be supportive, uh, you know, who, you know, creating this list of who are the influencers in his realm and how can he get uh, relationships with them so that when these people because otherwise you're not even going to look credible, right? Um, but if you have a network where people know who you are and they say to the local state rep, oh, well, you know, I, I, I heard that uh, so-and-so is trying to pitch an op-ed to the paper. Do you know anything about him? And the state rep says, oh, yeah, I had coffee with him last week. That is really powerful. And they can provide advice. They can help um, launch his idea and, uh, and you know, refine it to the point that it really resonates with the public. Once you're, you've done that for a while, you have this initial 
initial base of support. Then it goes to building an audience, which is where you start communicating the idea with a larger group of people. I would suggest, uh, you know, because this is really idea based, uh, he ought to be blogging regularly, both for his own blog and uh, also for other outlets. So, you know, maybe he can do uh, guest op-eds in the paper. He should be writing for... um, you know, pol- policy journals or think tanks, uh, any of those things, you know, looking for opportunities. Uh, maybe there's education bloggers that he should be befriending. Um, you know, maybe there's advocacy groups that his views are aligned with that, uh, that would be interested in spreading his ideas. Um, giving speeches, for sure. Uh, all of those things are, are pretty powerful. And then finally, you know, the part that we have the least control over, um, but you have to lay the groundwork successfully on the previous two, is building a community. And that's the place where you stop being the only one talking about your idea and other people are starting to talk about it too. So, you know, he's hopefully been meeting with a lot of people, generating attention uh, for this idea. They start to get impassioned about it. Maybe, you know, he helps it along by organizing a conference, you know, the school choice conference and uh, get, you know, getting speakers, getting media coverage around it, uh, bringing everyone together. Maybe they pass a resume resolution, you know, whatever, whatever it is, but you want to make sure that other people are bought in and that it's no longer just about you, but they're ambassadors too. So I love that framework because I think that can be so helpful. And I'm actually thinking about how to apply that and some things that are on my heart right now. But, you know, as you go through this process to really, you know, work with that network, bring it into this audience. And then, and when you're really engaging the community, now you're talking about influencing people with your ideas. And that is truly the realm now of leadership. So how, when you're moving into that realm, uh, which is for some people, they've done it a long time. Some people, this is maybe a new role for them. How do they bring their authentic self into that leadership role as, as they're moving down this path that you described? Yeah. So, you know, I, authenticity is key at, at every step along the way. I mean, I, I think that, um, it's, it's something that in a, in a lot of ways i don't i don't even uh I don't even really explicitly call it out, even though it's so critical because I feel like it is a necessary substratum of everything um if you are in any way bending yourself to what you think other people want uh it's it's ultimately going to uh to be unsuccessful because especially you know i mean even if we wanted to do such a thing um in in this internet driven world uh it, it is faster than ever that people can can discover uh any kind of a, a dissonance between who you uh who you purport to be and who you really are. I mean those things leak out, they manifest themselves. But you know, I would push back and, and say that um it's it's not even a useful goal. What makes people interesting, what makes them compelling is their unique differences. And we have come out of an era, I think, where what mattered most was, you know, how people fit in and, you know, did they look similar enough? Did they look like a leader, quote unquote? And uh, and now I think there's an increased appreciation that the, the things that make you different uh, are actually sources of strength because it means that you see the world in a different way and you have uh, different abilities to bring to bear. In my first book, Reinventing You, I actually profile a woman named Libby Wagner who 
was a poet. She was a published poet. She had an MFA uh, and she actually taught creative writing at a community college. And she uh, transformed herself into being a management consultant. And, you know, this is not necessarily an easy thing to do. Why would a CEO listen to a poet? And the first few years in business, she was uh, she was so nervous about this and so conscious of it. She actually hid her background as a poet and she didn't even talk about it. She didn't tell anyone about it because she thought it would be points against her. Um, but over time, she began to realize that actually it was a source of strength. It was a competitive differentiator. And she began talking about it more. She began having workshop offerings related to uh, you know her background as a poet. She, uh, she called her, her newsletter. She had this email newsletter. She called it the boardroom poet. And it was in seizing that mantle and in, in recognizing that the perceived weakness was actually a strength that she was able to, uh, to really become successful in her business endeavors. Well, I love what you're talking about. These limiting beliefs that I hold so many people back that I'm sure we both talked to, you know, and you've done a lot of work in personal branding. Um, And I, you know, I think having that confidence in who you are and the image or what you're bringing into the world can really propel people into taking this great idea. And I know you have a passion to help people find that great idea and bring it out into the world so it has impact. What, what's some thoughts and advice you give people to really kind of getting centered on that true north of who they are so they can have that authenticity? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. Uh, in in reinventing you, uh, my first book, that's uh, that's something I talk about a lot. And you know, one one step that I, I think is is kind of an interesting exercise. It almost is a little bit counterintuitive because it's. Uh, it's starting from the outside to get inside, but it's something I call the uh, the three word exercise. And this is basically over the course of the next week, uh, you should ask about half a dozen people, you know, friends, colleagues, pe- people who know you reasonably well. Ask them this one question, which is um, if if you only had three words to be able to describe me, what would they be? And you know, this is not an, a hard question to ask. It takes, you know, maybe a minute or two for them to answer. But it is an incredibly informative question to ask because what you're, what you're asking them to do is to tell you what is most salient, what is most important when they think of you. And the problem for most of us is, you know, I mean, we're aware in a general sense maybe of what we're like, but it is really hard for us to know what is coming through the loudest. What, what do other people think is most significant or most u- unique or unusual about us? And you're going to start to see patterns pretty rapidly. And it doesn't necessarily mean that other people's uh, answers are the truth about you. But it is very helpful information for you because it enables you to, to look at it and to say, do I feel that this is true? Is this really what I, what I want to be presenting to the world? And if, if it's not, um, what is it that I'm doing that's sending this message? And it, it gives you a starting point to begin to, to really think about um, who do you think you are and what, what would you like to be showing to the world? Well, you know, it's interesting as you're as you're talking about that. Uh, a lot of people are afraid of the feedback they might get, but you have to know where you're at today and how you're being perceived to actually start moving in that direction. So I love that. You know, I'd I'd love to even bring you back to some of the core things. You know, to put all this together, somebody uh, understands kind of who they are. They have an idea of where they want to go. 
I'd love for you to share, Dory, a little bit about how do I, how does anybody who's listening to this think about an idea that they might have, and is it really worthy or good enough to, you know, make a difference, to stand out, to make an impact, and how do I identify what that is and then build on that? Yes. So, one, you know, we were talking a moment ago about this process of spreading ideas, and it starts with with building your network. You know, finding this trusted group of people. And so, if you have an idea, um, one thing that that I'll actually suggest in Stand Out, I tell a story of this woman named Kari Anderson. And Kari, uh, she lives in the in the Bay Area. She used to be a, uh, a journalist. In fact, she's an, a former Emmy Award winning journalist. And I profiled her in the book because she has a, a really amazing. story story. Um, you know, many, many folks have heard uh, uh, about the virtues of having, you know, a mastermind group or, you know, a so-called, uh, you know, personal board of directors. And it, you know, it really is valuable. Um, a lot of people have done it with great success. Kari uh, has two mastermind groups that she is part of. And one of them has been running since 1989. And the other has been running since 1994. So literally um, 20 and 25 years, these groups have been going every single month. And she she said that, that really they have become the cornerstone of her professional life, uh, that these people basically know her as well or better than her family. And she's developed so much trust with them uh, over the years because, you know, they know each other so well. Um, they're, you know, they have the history with each other that they are able to give feedback to each other in a very honest and safe way because she has absolute faith that they have her best interest at heart and uh, they're able to to really collaborate and uh, and and help each other out and be you know mutually beneficial and so I, I think the idea of cultivating something like that uh, is really enormously helpful you can you know it takes a long time uh, to reach that level of trust but you can start today and if, if you bring people together uh, and create a community where you're giving to each other, um, that's the best place to start vetting ideas and see if they really resonate with other people as well. You know, as people go in that process, Dory, what are some of the roadblocks or obstacles that just stop them from even moving forward? I'm, you know, I'm just thinking people might have a great idea and they think, you know, Dory's doing that or Steve's doing that. How can I do that better? Or it's just not different enough to really move the needle and a lot of people stop before they even get started. How, how yeah. do you work with that? Yeah, I think I think it's really true. I mean, a lot of people disqualify themselves. And you know, I think the important thing to uh to really keep in mind here. I mean, certainly in my field, if you if you thought too long about, oh, has, you know, has this ever been said before? No one would ever write a business book again. <laughs> you know, and, no. And how many thousands were written last year? That's right. I mean, certainly no one would write a diet book, right? Oh, you should probably eat more vegetables. You should probably, you know, exercise once or twice, you know? I mean, we all know it. Um, the, the trick is, though, even if there are certain things that are eternal truths, oh, you know, if you want to be a good manager, you should communicate with your employees. Oh, you know, I mean, that's not rocket science, but people have not heard it from you. And you, because of your unique experiences, because of who you are, because of the stories that you tell and include, um, 
it, it sounds different and that can resonate and land for other people. Um, you know, one example that I think of is, uh, you know, there's, there's a woman who's written a very successful uh, book. Her name is uh, Chris Carr and her book is called Crazy Sexy Cancer. And sh- she's a young woman who is a cancer survivor. And, you know, if you are a 60 year old guy and you have cancer, you're probably not going to relate to her book very well. This is probably not, I mean, you know, she's going to tell you sensible things. Things like, oh, well, you, you know, you should exercise or you should spend more time with your friends or whatever. But it's probably not going to come in the package that's helpful to you. But if you're a 25-year-old woman and you've been diagnosed with breast cancer and you don't know what to do, you know, how do you balance it with dating? You're, you know, maybe you're just starting a job and you, you're dealing with cancer. If you read this book, it's going to make sense to you in a very powerful way. And I think that that's the key here is recognizing that, you know, whether or not information is objectively quote unquote new, um, people hear things in, in a different way uh, based on where it's coming from. And each of us has an audience that we are meant to be able to reach. Well, you know, it reminds me of the, the saying, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And every one of us just has this, you know, God's put a calling on our heart to share a certain message. They've, you know, we're equipped and we have our own experiences and how we think about things that's going to resonate with somebody totally different than maybe if they heard it from you, Dory, or from me. But if you get out there and you share what's on your heart in that authentic way, you're going to make an impact and you're going to connect. And I, I think it's this mindset and these limiting beliefs that you talked about before that hold this back. And I love how you started out. You just had this desire to make an impact. You started moving forward. So somebody who's hearing that right now and they're going, wow, that's where I'm at. I'm just, I want to take that next step. I don't know how to do it. What would you tell them? Yeah. So, you know, for, for the next step, if you're, if you're just, just starting out and, and trying to figure out uh, where you want to go, a really good strategy that I talk about in Standout, um, and it, the reason that I like this one for people who are maybe a little bit unsure of how they want to proceed, uh, is the strategy of, of what I call doing original research. And this, uh, that may sound really formal or fancy, but it's, it's actually not. Um, I will give you an example of what I mean. One of the people that I profiled in the book is a guy named Michael Waxenberg. And he uh, and his family uh, had, you know, a very sort of, you could say a basic or prosaic goal. Uh, They were deciding whether to buy an apartment. And uh, they they lived in New York City and they're trying to figure out uh, if now is a good time to buy. So this, uh, so Michael starts going to open houses and, uh, you know, he really wants to make a good decision for his family. So he's going to all these open houses and he decides that he's going to start writing them up on a real real estate website, these very, very detailed reviews of the properties so that he can keep them straight and just share the information with other people to be helpful. Uh, So he does this and pretty soon after he's writing these reviews, he starts getting emails and people say, oh, I loved your review of, you know, these properties, you know, so much about the market. Can I work with you? Will you be my realtor? And the problem was he was an IT manager at a financial services firm. He wasn't a realtor, but he had demonstrated just by diving into the material, by, you know, literally writing reviews of the properties, he had demonstrated such knowledge and mastery and had added so much value to people they wanted to give him money. And so 
at first he, you know, he, he was kind of helping them out and, you know, they couldn't pay him, but they'd give him like a box of chocolates or something for his advice. Uh, but eventually an actual realtor wrote to him and said, look, if you haven't taken the test yet, we'll sponsor you. You can work at our firm uh, because you've already got a client base. So he did it. And now he has his real estate license and he's developed a, a very lucrative side business where he doesn't even have to advertise. He doesn't even have to market himself because he has a stream of customers coming to him based on these reviews that he wrote. Dory, I love how this guy grabbed into just something he was passionate about, became an expert at it. And you know what? The world needs more people to just get out there and be their authentic selves because they have so much to contribute. And you've been very generous with sharing with our audience uh, this uh, bonus material that you wrote for the book. It's a 42-page self-assessment and I have gone through it. I've read it and I would challenge everybody to download this. If you go through this step-by-step with what Dory's talking about here in the podcast, but also with with this in front of you, I have no, uh, no doubt in my mind, you could take an idea, just even just a kernel of an idea, a little ember, and it could turn into a flame that's culture changing and impactful, um, in, I would say a very short period of time, but what do you, what are your thoughts on that Dory? Cause I, I think this is, thank you for sharing this with our audience and maybe you can say a little bit more about it. Yeah. Thank you so much, John. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I wanted to, to make sure that, uh, that folks were, who were interested in, in these ideas about how to find their breakthrough idea and then, uh, build a following around it. were able to, uh, to really work through it and, and have a, a kind of prompt, uh, how they could apply it to their own life. So at the end of every chapter of standout, uh, I have a bunch of questions that people can ask themselves. And so, as you mentioned, I created a free giveaway. It's a 42-page workbook that compiles all of the questions. There are 139 questions that uh, literally just sequentially walk you through the process of coming up with your own breakthrough ideas and getting them out into the world so they can have impact. Uh, And it's available for free on my website, which is doryclark.com, D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K. Well, as we wrap up, Dory, what are just some final thoughts? You know, as people have been listening to this, they're driving to work, they're working out, and they're like, you know what? I really want to be an influencer. I want to make an impact. I want my life to to count and make a difference. What, what final thoughts would you leave with them? Well, you know, one one thing that, that I'll suggest, John, that I think a lot of people um, – you know, don't don't necessarily gravitate toward, but is so valuable and so important is the idea of becoming a convener. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's it's a powerful and wonderful thing to build one-on-one relationships and to build your network. But it is even more of a good deed if you enable other people to build their networks. And uh, the, the benefits just just go exponentially. And so in, uh, in Stand Out, I tell the story of a guy named Robbie Samuels. And he was frustrated. Uh, he was a fundraiser in Boston. And he was frustrated because he felt like the nonprofit community was very siloed. And a lot of advocates who were working 
working uh, together, you know, they, they didn't collaborate the ways that they should. It seemed like, you know, all the environmental people would work together, but then they wouldn't be collaborating with uh, the healthcare people or the healthcare people wouldn't be working with the animal welfare people. But they all had a lot that they could really learn from each other in terms of making things better and, and helping the world. And so at first he uh, proposed, you know, maybe we should have a summit. Maybe we should, you know, all get together and trade best practices. And they all said, oh, Robbie, that's nice, but we don't have time. We're too busy. We don't, you know, we really can't do that. And so what he realized was sometimes you you can't stop with your first iteration of an idea. You've got to kind of keep scratching at it. You've got to figure out another way. And he realized that he was trying to sell people something they needed, but instead he needed to sell them something they wanted. Mm. And so he created a meetup group, you know, which you can do for free. Mm. And he called it Socializing for Justice. And it was meant to be a, an entirely uh, recreational pursuit. Uh, it's uh, a gathering of nonprofit advocates and their friends. And they would get together every other week and do fun things. And so they had events like Trivial Pursuit for Justice. They had Bowling for Justice, Cocktails for Justice, Beach Day for justice and they would all get together sometimes their events uh would have you know 150 people or more and you know robbie's goal was for nonprofit advocates to get better connected to know each other uh to you know to collaborate more and it, he couldn't do it by attacking the problem head on no nobody bought in but everybody started coming out when they realized that they could do it for fun. And so the connections were built and you know the, the best practices were traded, but in an informal way where people really wanted to do it. Today, the group is nine years old and it has more than 2,500 members. And he's, he's really helped his own career by being a convener. Uh, and you know it creates benefits for you and it creates benefits for the entire community. Well, that reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from John Maxwell, do something and something will happen. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And to learn more about Dory, her books, her website, her speaking, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 053. That's eternalleadership.com slash 053. And there in our show notes, we'll have all those links and more like over 400 free articles at our website. That's eternalleadership.com slash 053. And for a fast way to get to that page, if you're listening on a smartphone, tablet, or computer, just click on the link embedded in the summary of this MP3. Special thanks to Justin Jeffrey for his editing and production assistance on this episode. And thank you all for every one of you that have liked or followed us on social media or shared this show. Thank you. Your support means the world to us. Next time on Eternal Leadership, entrepreneur and business leader and podcaster, Dean Patino. For the past seven years, every fall, I was in a men's baseball league, 25 and older. And I just had a message uh, while I was out on the field in that seventh year was, you need to now not do this anymore as much as you love to play baseball. And you need to now instead use this time to volunteering and give back to the world. But once I started doing this volunteering, things in my life financially really started to change. And uh, there were some tough moments leading up to it. It wasn't like instantaneously. It's not like the first volunteer work I did that all of a sudden uh, $50,000 showed up in my bank account. But then all of a sudden things really took off. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. 